welcome to the Access Church Podcast. We are going to continue our, our series called No Regrets, Living Life to the Fullest. You know, unfortunately, the church has, has uh, misinformed and I think has done a disservice to the people for many years by teaching an escapism theology. And, and they have relegated the, the fact that Jesus has come only with the only purpose to give you a VIP ticket to heaven. That's what we have made it about. But I don't know if you know that Jesus did not only come to take you to heaven, but Jesus came so that you could have an abundant and prosperous life here on the earth. Now, don't mis uh, misunderstand me. Yes, I know the rapture and eternity in heaven with God. That is the ultimate goal. That 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 is the prize that that we are all we are all running for. That we are all straining for. But I, I don't want you to think that God doesn't care what kind of life you live right now. I don't want you to think that God is like, well, just suffer through life, just go through it. You know, find a way, and if you make it through, then you know, then you'll get your crown and, 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 get, and get to heaven. But Jesus did not just come to take you to heaven. He came so that he could teach you how to have an abundant and prosperous life. In fact, two-thirds of what Jesus preached about during his three and a half years of earthly ministry, it wasn't about how to get to heaven or that we could get to heaven, but he was teaching us on how we can have a full and satisfying life here on the earth. In fact, I think in Luke 19.10, we, we find Jesus' thesis statement for his ministry. Look at what it says. It says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It doesn't say, and I know you probably heard it pre preached for years, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. But that's not what the Word of God says. When you look at it, and, and the, the NASB is one of the, the English translation that is most uh, uh, comparable to the original language. And it specifically says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So when we look at, at the beginning, when we look, the, the, if we want to know why Jesus came, we've got to understand what was lost. We see that from the very beginning, God put Adam and Eve into the Garden of Eden. He put them into a place where they lacked nothing. He put them into a place where they had everything in abundance. In fact, that's what the word Eden means. The word Eden means voluptuous or abundant living. It means to be prosperous. It means means to be blessed. So we see that from the very beginning, God's will and God's intention for man on the earth was to live an abundant life. In fact, Jesus reiterated this when he said in John 10, 10, that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come. This is Jesus talking. I have come so that they may have life and have it to 
the full. He, he's not talking about, you know, you can have life when you get to heaven. Yeah, when, when you get to heaven and you get your ultimate goal and you make it, you know, through the end of, uh, of, of earthly time and, and you pass from, from time into eternity, then you can have it. No, he's talking about the reason I came right now. Part of my purpose is not just to restore you, to give you an opportunity to live in eternity in heaven with me, but I came so that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants you to live your life to the fullest. He wants you to have an abundant life here on the earth. So he came to seek. That word seek, that word seek means to, to ransom, to, to restore. He came to restore what Adam and Eve lost when sin entered the picture. So in, in order for you to access his predestined and prepared abundance for your life, you must first start and accept the idea that God wants to bless you. It, it is God's will for your abundance. He, he wants you to have an abundant life. In the New Living Translation, it says it this way. In John 10.10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So God wants you to live in abundance. God takes no joy, nor does he gain any glory from seeing you impoverished and suffering. Do you know that your life's purpose is to give God's glory? That's what, that's what he desires. He wants every facet and every aspect of your life to give him glory. And how could God get glory from someone that is suffering, someone that is impoverished, someone that is in lack? Imagine, you know, what father takes joy in seeing their children suffer? I don't know if you've ever experienced that as a parent where you see that your children has needs and you just don't have the financial wherewithal to be able to buy them the shoes or, or to buy them the uniform or, or to sign them up for, for sports. You're like, son, I, I just don't have it. Do you take joy in when, when, when you when you see your children in need. No, I know almost every good father, good mother, they want the best for their children. They want, they want them to have the best. They want them to have, they want them to have more. In fact, look at what, what Jesus writes in Matthew chapter 7, 9 through 11. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Think about that. Which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone. Now, I probably have some fathers in here that would probably do that as a joke. I can think of a few. Stephen's not here, right? <laughs> I could totally see Stephen doing that. But think about it. And, and verse 10 says, or if he asks for a fish, you will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Look, look what it says. It says, give good gifts to those to ask him. I, I, I know some of you are so spiritual and so pious, like, Pastor, I don't ask God for anything. I just want to love on him and worship him. But the Bible Jesus himself is giving you permission to ask. 
He's given you permission to ask. It's okay to, to go to your heavenly father and ask for the things that you need. When you ask according to his will, the Bible says that he, 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 will, he will answer, he will give you. In fact, if you yourself desire for your children to have a good and prosperous life, how could you ever think, how could you ever imagine that God would not want you to be prosperous? How can you imagine that God, not, not having good or being good, that God is good. He is the essence of good. If you yourself want the best for your children, you want your children to even have a better life than you, how could you ever think that God would want you to suffer in this life. And unfortunately, there, there are churches that profess this. There, there are churches that say that, in fact, the previous verse to that, Jesus tells them, ask and you shall receive. Now, does that sound like someone that wants you to be suffering in lack? And then he goes on to say, everyone who asks, receives. In fact, there are many scriptures that speak to God's will and desire for us to be blessed and live in abundance. And unfortunately, there, there are churches that profess that there is a correlation between poverty and piety. And, and, and I'm not trying to step on a few toes, but it was the organized Catholic church that created that false, unbiblical ideology that correlated poverty with piety. And, and, and I'm here to tell you that there is no biblical foundation for that. There, you, you cannot find a scripture that says that if you're really holy, if you're really down, then, then you're going to be poor and, and, and you're going to be humble and, and, and you're going to be in lack because it is better to suffer. No, that is not biblical. In fact, we see in, through, in, in, in and throughout biblical history, the exact opposite was true. The Jews themselves believe that your blessing or your abundance was a direct sign of your devotion to God. In other words, the more devout you were, the more blessed you were. In fact, look at God, God promises to the Israelites when they were coming out of poverty, they were in Egypt, they were slaves, they had nothing. He said this, the promise was that he was going to take them to a land that flowed with milk and honey. Now, obviously we know that that was a metaphor. There really wasn't like wells of honey and wells of milk in the land. That was a metaphor. What, what he was literally saying is that I am going to take you to a place and I'm going to bless you. And in that land, you are going to be so prosperous that the milk and honey is, is going to flow. In other words, you are going to have a source that will never run dry. You are going to have more than enough. You're going to have more than enough. You're going to have, you're going to have abundance. And then God goes on again to promise them in Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 9. He says, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, with streams and deep springs gushing out into the valley and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. Sounds like they went to H-E-B. 
a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can go and dig copper out of the hills. What is God saying? I'm taking you to a place where you are going to have an abundant life. You are going to have not just what you need. You are going to have more than you need. Look at that, 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 that list. He said you're going to have wheat and barley vines. But let me tell you this. That when the Israelites got to the land, they didn't walk in and they saw vineyards and wheat fields and barley fields and, and olive trees. No. They got to a land that was nothing more than potential. They had a promise, but they had to put work in order to obtain the promise. God is saying, if you do your part, then I'm going to do my part and I'm going to make the land produce like it's never produced before. I'm going to make the land produce like it's never before. Now, there was a situation, and, and I think it's in 1 Kings chapter 9, where, where the king of terror, he, he, goes to, he goes to Canaan, he goes to the promised land, and he calls it Kabul, which means poo-poo. That's the Greek word for it literally means he's calling it a wasteland. So you've got to understand that when the Israelites got into the promised land, it wasn't like it was voluptuous living. God was saying, I'm going to put you in a place, but you're going to have to do your part. And if you do your part, I will do my part. You're going to have to put a seed in the ground. But if you put a seed in the ground, then I'm going to do my part. I'm going to send the rain. I'm going to nourish the soil. And the soil is going to produce. He's saying, you're going to have everything that you need. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. He gives you the ability so you do your part, God will do his part. He gives you the ability to pr produce wealth. And then he says, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So what is wealth? Merriam-Webster defines wealth as abundance of valuable material possessions or resources and abundant supply. So God is saying that their wealth or abundance is what? It is a confirmation of his covenant. It is a confirmation of their devotion. God is saying that when I take you into the land, I am going to bless you just like I promised you. I'm giving you the ability. Not only did I give you the ability, but I put you in the place to prosper. And you do your part, I will do my part. And when people see you blessed, it is going to confirm that I am your God. It's going to confirm that I am with you, that I, I, I am before you, that I am blessing you. Now, some would say, well, pastor, I, he, he's talking about the Jews. But yes, remember that through Jesus, we became heirs of the same covenant. So the same promise that God is giving to them, he's giving to you. Deuteronomy 15, 6 says, the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised. You will lend money to many nations, but you will never need to borrow. You will rule many nations, but they will not rule over you. Think about it for a moment. If you don't have more than enough, how can you ever lend what you don't have? And God is saying, I am going to bless you so much that you are going to have more than you could ever imagine that you are not going to be the borrower. You are going to be the lender. Now, don't confuse provision with blessing. There is a distinction between provision. Provision is given to you 
by position. The fact that you are a son or daughter of the king, the fact that you are a son or daughter, a, a, a child of God, you, you have your provision. God promised to provide for you, but he also promised to bless you. So provision is just enough, but blessing is more than enough. Blessing is abundance. Now the Israelites, they went through a season of provision. They went through the desert. And in the desert, God gave them daily manna. In fact, God says, I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you manna, but you can't store it. You, you can't keep it. it- it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to spoil, you know, from one day to the next. It's going to spoil. So every day, God would give them what they needed. He wanted to understand him the difference between provision and abundance. He said, you're going to go through this season of provision But then I'm going to show you what it's like in the promised land for you to walk in the fullness of an abundant life. So how do we access abundance? How do we access abundance? Now remember, Jesus didn't come to establish a church or a religion. He didn't come to establish Christianity. Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God here on the earth. And just like every government, the kingdom of God the kingdom of God has laws and principles by which will govern the daily life of its citizens. And just like the every other government, the kingdom of God has these principles. Now Jesus makes a distinction when he comes and he tells us that those laws or principles are keys. See, you and I we often see laws as limitations. Like, like things to, that, that hold us back. But Jesus is saying, don't confuse earthly laws with kingdom laws. Because laws on the earth can limit you. But what the kingdom laws are, they are keys. And what do keys do? Keys give you access. And so as a citizen of the kingdom of God, you have rights, you have benefits, and you have blessings that you can appropriate for yourself. And how do you access or appropriate those benefits and blessings? By using the keys. Now, there are several keys of the kingdom that grant us access to the blessings and benefits of the kingdom. Some of those, some of those keys are praying. Praying is a key. Fasting is a key. Serving is a key. Did you know that serving is a key that grants you access to the life that God wants for you? That's why we tell you don't come to church just to sit, sing, and listen to a sermon. You should come to church to serve. Why? Because service, serving in God's house will unlock and unleash blessings in your life. Let me give you the perfect picture of that from Scripture. Do you remember that God promised David when he was 12 years old that he would be king of Israel? He was a shepherd boy. He was not in the royal lineage. He was not, he, he was not part of, of the royal family. He didn't come from the royal bloodline. So how could he have a right to sit on the king in a family that he was not a part of? So God understanding his principles and his keys, what does he do? He sends David to the palace to do what? He sends David to the palace to serve. And the fact that David went to serve in the palace, it unlocked and unleashed God, God's plan and purpose for his life. And it was through David serving in the palace that now God granted David access to sit on the throne. So you're serving in the church, whether it's in hospitality, media, audio, children's ministry, dance ministry, worship ministry, greeting, whatever it is. Let me tell you, when you serve, you are unlocking and you are gaining access to things that you thought you could never access in your life. 
Serving is a key. Praising is a key. Honor, obedience, and giving. Giving of first fruits, tithes, and offerings. Now, all of these keys, now, you know, and, and all of these keys operate on the level of faith. They, op- they operate in the realm of faith. It is, it is a, a prophetic act. It is a physical act that you do in the physical that carries powerful spiritual implications. For instance, oftentimes, you know, the devil will say, well, what good is raising your hands? The Bible says, lift up your hands in the holy sanctuary. And so we lift up our hands and we're thinking, you know, the devil can criticize your praise. Well, why are you singing? Why are you shouting? Why do you lift up your hands? And I believe that God gives us a picture in the scriptures. Do you remember when the children of Israel were, were in the valley and they were facing a very fierce and tough battle? And God goes to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to go to the mountaintop. I want you to stand there and I want you to raise your hands. And as long as you raise your hands, the, your, your, the, the children of Israel, they're going to win the battle. They're going to gain the victory. So Moses does what he says. He lifts up his hands. He picks up his hands. And as long as his hands were raised, the children of Israel, Israel were winning the battle. And I think God was saying that is what happens in the physical realm. But when you operate in the realm of faith and you begin to raise your hands, you are mobilizing the host and the army of heaven. As you raise your hand, the devil will say, what good does that do? You're just raising your hands. You're just singing. But what you don't realize is that as you raise your hands in worship, you mobilize heaven's army and heaven's army begins to fight your battles on your behalf. Heaven's army begins to mobilize and begins to operate and as long as you lift up your hands you get to win the battle that is the picture and the pattern so whether or not we use these keys will determine if we access all that God has provided for us but just like in life different keys unlock different things you have a car key a house key an office key a storage key and each one of those keys will unlock a different thing. You can't get into your house with your car key. You can't get into your office with your house key. You need the right key to access the right space. Well, in the kingdom of God, it's the same. There's no universal key that just unlocks everything in your life. There are some things that serving will unlock in your life, like we said with David. There are some things that prayer will unlock, and there are some things that giving will unlock in your life. But I believe that one of the most powerful keys to unlock the blessing of abundance in your life is the key of first fruits offering. And I know some of you like, okay, there's the catch. I was waiting for it, just like that late night infomercial. There it is. He's going to ask for money. No, I'm not going to ask for money, at least not today. And, and I know some of you are like, Pastor, you just, all you do is talk about money. No, you just came at the wrong time when we were doing the generosity series. But honestly, I feel like, like we, have, we have been successful in fostering a culture of guilt-free giving. We're, we're not a church that gets up here every day and just asks you for money. Or we don't, we don't ask you to pass up or pass out. I say pass up, pass out, because I've been to church where they ask you so much to come forward and give money that you end up passing out. 
But that's not us. We really believe that what you give and how you give is between you and God. We're, we're not going to guilt you into giving. We're, we're not going to make you pass up in front of everybody or pass out in front of everybody. We're not going to pass the plate to you. We have giving boxes in, in, in the auditorium. You can give online, however you want to do. But we're never going to treat you better or treat you differently whether you give or not. Because we believe that giving is, a, is an act of devotion between you and God. But I believe that giving will unlock abundance in your life like no other key. And please understand my heart. Like I said, we are not a church that is always asking for money. But I believe that it is my job to teach you the keys and you get to decide whether or not you want to use the key or not. So... I believe that the key to accessing abundance is the key of generosity, giving, giving of tithes, first fruits, and offerings. Maybe you're saying, well, pastor, first fruits and tithing are the same thing. No, there is a difference and distinction between first fruits offering and tithing. To give a tithe means that you give a tenth of your income to your church. Now, tithes are generally given throughout the entire year. And tithes are meant to be given almost in an automatic sense of obedience. After you receive your income, whether it be a paycheck, commission, bonus, you know, garage sale, you know, and I'm so gangster about giving that if I get money for my birthday, if I get money for pastor appreciation, whatever it is, I'm going to give God the 10% because I understand what the tithe will unlock in my life. So I, I, I give. So whatever it is that, that you get, I, you give that 10%. Now, first fruit offering is a little bit different. This is typically an annual gift that you give to the church done at harvest time. In fact, look at what the, the, Proverbs, the, the writer of Proverbs writes in Proverbs 3.9. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. So the Israelites lived in an agrarian society. So their economy depended on the Lord in a very clear way. They needed rain. They needed the land to produce. And so harvest time essentially came 50 days after Passover. And so on the day of first fruits, that's where they would bring the first and best of their crop to celebrate and thank God for his provision. You'll find in scripture that God always co combines and correlates giving and a celebration together. Because giving should be something that we do joyfully. Somebody say amen. So they would do that. And according to the International Fellowship of Christian and Jews, when an Israelite saw the first emergence of one of the seven species of the land, wheat, barley, grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives, or dates, and he was, he was to go and tie a red string around it, around it, designating it as his first fruit. So the, the, the Israelite would plant the crop, and, and the first, the first uh, crops that would, would, would sprout up or begin to bud, he would go and he would tie a red string around that, that, that crop, and he would know that as that crop would ripen, that when he would harvest it, that would be separated and taken to the temple as a first fruit offering. Now, this, there, if, if you don't understand, uh, uh, you know, Jewish culture, the Israelite culture, 
uh, there were actually three harvest times that, that they would do. You had the first fruit, you had the, the middle harvest, and the end harvest. And so if you don't see the picture that correlating to the rapture, then, then you're missing it. Because Apostle Paul says that we are the first fruits, the church, when we are raptured. So the Israelite would tie a red string. The red string is, represents the blood of Jesus in our life. So the first fruits is what would go into the temple first. That was the first part of the harvest. So, so we see the picture of the rapture. We don't have time to, to get into that. So when that stalk tied with the red string would fully ripen and be harvested, then it would separate that crop and take it to the temple as their first fruit offering. Now, because you and I, we don't live in an agrarian culture, we are not actually harvesting crops, at least most of us aren't. Our first fruit offerings come from what we earn, from how we gain income increase or increase in wealth, which is essentially our income. So this is what we do. We give out of that. So for us, what we practice here at Access Church, and I know some of you might get ready to pass out. So somebody get a fan ready in case you do. Because I understand that it takes faith to give. It takes faith to give. It takes faith to give 10% of, of your income, you know, every, every two weeks or once a month or, or weekly. I, I get that. I understand. But the Bible makes it clear that tithing is elementary. That is, that is first level. But then we go into the greater offerings. And one of those is first fruit offerings. So we at Access Church, we designate a one week of salary of the year at the beginning of the year. And we offer that to God as our first fruits offering. Nobody passed out? Okay. Okay, we're good. Like, okay, this is a sign I'm in the wrong church. No, you're in the right church. So that's what we do. We give one week of salary because we don't have harvest crops. That's our harvest. So for me, literally, the first, the first salary the check I get of the year, I give it completely in holy. I give it to God. And let me just make this thing clear. You do not give your tithes or your first fruits to access church. Okay, that's not, you give it to God. And you sure don't give it to me as the pastor. I hear people say, oh, I give my tithes to that pastor. No, that's not what you do. Everything you give, you give to God. Just like you don't give money to the IRS. You don't give money to the IRS. You give money to the government. And the government has created a very diabolical organization. Just my personal opinion. The IRS as the institution that is going to steward and manage the taxpayer money. So we don't give, just like you don't give your money to the IRS, you give your money to God through the IRS, or to the government through the IRS. You don't give your money to the church. You give your money to God through the institution of the church, what God has established to steward and manage the resources of the kingdom. Are you with me? So the key to abundance is our First fruit offering. And, and let, me ask, let me tell you this, that this, my belief that this is the key that will unlock that, that level of abundance of more than enough in your life. It's not just theological because it is scriptural, but it is experiential. I have personally experienced the blessing of abundance through the key of first fruits 
as have many other people in our church. And throughout the year, I often get to hear the testimonies of how God has blessed homes, families, businesses, even from people that were skeptical just like you, but they ended up taking a step of faith. And then they were able to see and testify to the abundance that was unlocked in their life through the key of their first fruit offering. It takes faith to unlock abundance. Why, why did God choose to use keys? I, I don't know. You're going to have to ask him. But that's the way that we appropriate the benefits and the blessings. Remember I said, God told the Israelites, you're going to go to this land. There's vineyards and pomegranates and olive trees. They got there. There was nothing. There was the potential. He put them in the place, but they had to put in their seed. And once they put in the seed, then it would produce that abundance harvest of crops. So I'm going to conclude with this. The famous Bible story of Cain and Abel begins with two brothers offering to God. Cain brings some of his crops before the Lord, and Abel brings an offering of slaughtered animals. But there is a distinct difference between the two gifts. Look at what it says, Genesis 4, 3, and 5. See if you can see the difference. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So Cain brought some fruit and vegetables, probably something that he had left over after he had fed himself and his family. But Abel brought the best of the best of what he had to God, the firstborn, the the healthiest of his animals. And God noticed the difference between these two sacrifices, and he had a clear preference between the two. Now, disregarding what famously happens in the rest of the story, the sacrifices of Cain and Abel teaches us a very valuable lesson. Giving our first fruits means giving God first and giving our best to God. First fruits is giving God first. It's, it's before I even know what's going to happen in, in 2024, before I know what, what, what 2024 is going to bring, bring, I'm going to give to God first. And I'm going to give Him the best. Giving first fruits is, is putting God first, even before ourselves or our family. And so when you give your first fruit offering, it opens you up in order to allow God to work in your life. And and when we approach God with open hands rather than clenched fists, it makes it easier for Him to give us more to work with. So one of the, the, the challenges that I've had with Micah lately, Micah will sometimes grab something and I'll grab something and he'll see what I have and just like, you know, pretty much anybody the nature is like, you want what you don't have. So Micah wants what I have. But the problem oftentimes is he's not willing to let go of what he has so I can give him what I have. And as long as his fist is clenched and holding on to what he has, he, he, can't, he, can't, he can't embrace what I have. So, and there's times where, where I'm trying to tell, you know, Bobby, just let go of this. I'm going to give you this. Let go. But in his mind, he can't comprehend letting go to get. 
He, he can't comprehend that. And there are times where I literally have to pry out of his hand what he has so that he can get what I have for him. And I'm there pulling, and, and I think sometimes that's what God is doing with us. We approach God with clenched fists. We approach God because we think that our confidence and our faith is in what we have and what we're able to do in our strength, in our ability. And God is saying, if you'll just let go of what you have, imagine what I have for you. Imagine what I want to put in your hands. And oftentimes when I finally pray out what Micah has in his hand, he gets what I give him. And he realizes, man, this is what I always wanted that I didn't know I need. It just happened this week that he wanted a frozen banana. And he comes up to me, he goes, Dad. And then you right away, you got a frozen banana? Yeah. So I went to the freezer, got the frozen banana on a stick. But he had something in his hand. And he couldn't comprehend letting go so he could get the frozen banana. And I had to pull out of his hand what he had. And I put it. And as soon as he got the frozen banana, he was happy. He realized that what I had to give him was better than what he was holding on to. And oftentimes we miss out what God has for us because we're too afraid to let go of what we have not knowing that what God has for you is so much better imagine you being evil that's not my words that's God's words okay I don't want no hate email do people even email anymore I don't know <laughs> the young people are like old people do know how to give good gifts imagine your heavenly father so when we give God our first fruit it reminds us that God is our ultimate priority it shows it shows God that we are obedient to him and that we can be trusted with more and perhaps more importantly being generous in this way shows that we are grateful for all that God has given us and finally did you know that the Hebrew word for first fruits is bickering, which literally translates in the promise to come. So when we give our first fruits offering, we are faithfully placing our hope and trust in the Lord for the promise to come. See, when you come at the beginning of the year with your first fruit offering and you're saying, God, I, I, I don't know what 2024 holds. I don't know what is waiting for me in May, June, or July. I don't know what I, where I'm going to be in December. But God, all I know is that I'm going to put my faith and trust in you. And so when you come with your first fruit offering, you're saying, God, I, I'm putting my deposit. I'm using the key that is going to access all of the promises that you have for me in this year. I, I, I I am utilizing the key. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it in the keyhole so that I can access everything that God has for me in this year. It is, it is your assurance to access the promises to come. I don't know about you. If, I don't know if you know, but God has many amazing blessings for you this year. And all He's waiting for you is to pull the key out of your pocket, out of your wallet, out of your checkbook. All He's waiting for you is to put the key and use the key so that that you can access everything that he has for you in 2024 when we do that it is a way of saying God 
you can trust me with increase. I will use what you give me to sow back into your kingdom. And in return, I believe that God blesses us with divine connections and Kairos moments necessary to get us where he wants to go. See, that's an often overlooked way that God blesses us. God loves you so much and he's so invested in you fulfilling your purpose that when you honor God and you use the key, he's going to put you in the elevator. He's going to put you in the waiting room. He's going to put you in a place for, for that connection that you needed to start that business, to get that, that investor. He's going to put you in a place that is going to connect you, that that person is going to be someone that God is going to use you to catapult you forward, to move you forward in your purpose. He's going to bring a Kairos moment where you just have this moment of a illumination where you get that strategy or that idea that is going to lead to your blessing in other words when you give it is God expanding our land our territory our influence it is God lining us up to receive all that he has for us now the ball's in your court you decide maybe you're not ready. I, I, I get it. Don't, you know, like I said, we don't treat you differently whether you give or you don't give. You're welcome to come for the free coffee and donuts. Well, next week, you're like, Pastor, no donuts today. I know. Because of the fast. But next week, we're going to have really good donuts. And coffee. We're not going to talk about you, at least not to your face, maybe behind your back. No, I'm just kidding. But we teach you this so that you can have the keys that will help you access everything that God has for you in 2024. The ball's in your court. Yeah, I know it's going to take a step of faith. It's not easy. For some, you're still stuck in first grade at, at the tithe. And that's okay. It's not a judgment or a criticism. It's okay. That's where you're at in your faith because faith is progressive. Faith increases. But for those of you who say, Pastor, man, I'm ready to go to the next level. I'm ready. I'm ready to access, uh, leave from just enough to more than enough. I'm giving you the key. Now it's up to you to determine whether or not you have the faith and the fortitude to do what God is calling you to do. Let me tell you, God is ready to bless. God is ready to unleash as soon as you utilize the key that will unlock the abundance of blessing that God has for you in your life. Will you stand? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your goodness, your mercies, God. God, we thank you for all that you have prepared for us. Lord God, and I pray that as we prepare our first roots offering for next week, God, I pray that you'd begin to stir up in our hearts, begin to stir up the faith that we need to be able to step out, to trust you enough to trust you that you are faithful and true to your word. Lord God, I pray that we would give joyfully. I pray that we will give intentionally, purposefully, as an act of obedience, as an act of devotion, as, and as an act of worship. 
Lord God, I pray that everything we do and say would bring glory and honor to your name. We just thank you today for your word. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us, and a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.